Martin, weren't we over here, that this title is such that uh, you're probably here because you would like to be a part of this kind of conversation for a little bit. Keep calm and carry on. How do you live in the midst of ministry stress and those kind of things? My name is Scott Lambert, and um, Jim and I are honored to be able to teach this class uh, these two nights. We um, have known each other kind of from a distance, and over the last few years, we've been a little more dedicated to call each other, and then when Mike asked, Mike Cope asked us to teach class, we jumped at it, and um, um, we have a heart for ministers, we have a heart for leaders, and we have a heart for people that have taken um, the jump off the cliff to serve the Lord. You know, I had to laugh a few years ago, I had a friend from California that moved to Texas to be a minister. And he said, it is so different in Texas. They offer you memberships at golf courses. When they hear you're a minister, they pay your lunch. I know you're in Texas a long time, Jim, and that doesn't happen all the time, right? I know. But my friend was like, they, they value what you do. And I just wanted to kind of retell that story to say, you're in a place where uh, you're with people that value the leadership roles you're in. We try to value um, the nobility of your work, but also the hard parts of your work too. We don't live in an era that is just like real touchy-feely f- sweet for churches, right, and for ministers. And unfortunately, that's your churches. <laughs> um, not even culture. Church work is kind of hard right now. So when we were offered the opportunity to do something along the line to give some hope and joy and presence to church leaders, we, we jumped at it. So tonight, Jim's going to bring the lesson tomorrow night. I'll do most of that work. Jim's got like a really big job, so he goes home tomorrow to lead graduation at Harding School of Theology in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, is it on Saturday, I suppose, or on Friday? Well, you really do have to go home, don't you? Get your robe on and all that stuff. I love it. Um, Jim, how, you've been there 10 years, almost 10 years at Harding School of Theology, the, the graduate school for ministry and training at Harding. And it's in Memphis. It's not in the Searcy campus. So Jim came from uh, a place that I've grown to love, Waco, Texas, because I have a couple of kids that went to school there, at a little place called Baylor. And 20-plus years at the Crestwood Church of Christ in Waco, Texas, and some time before that. So what I appreciate about Jim and Charlotte is that they have come from ministry into academia and that's a little different than going straight to academia and kind of flirting in church leadership. Jim has given his life to church leadership and taken then all that wisdom to Harding. So you're getting ready to hear something very precious tonight. Keep calm and carry on. Uh, ministry for ministers and leaders in the hard, the hard days that we're in. Jim, we love you, brother, and thank you for being on tonight. He's going to bring some words of encouragement. Uh, I'd love to pray for him and for us. And uh, thank you for coming out on late night, late night, Wednesday night. God, we love you, and we say thank you for the opportunity that we all have to be in ministry. For all of us, whether it's a paid ministry position or a volunteer or a church leader, God, we just say thank you. It's not an era where... Um, church leaders are nurtured and cuddled and loved and beloved in communities. And it's also not an era where our churches necessarily are places of um, joy and gratitude all the time. So tonight and tomorrow night, we want to give just some words of encouragement to these good brothers and sisters. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Jim? So glad to... Uh... You get to be here for a moment, for a few minutes. Uh, I looked at how long this class could possibly last. (laughs) I don't intend to be here at 10 Uh, o'clock. But I do want to make your time worthwhile. And uh, 
what I'd like to do, first of all, is just talk a little bit about uh, the situation we're in as ministers, as people, as servants, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about what it, why it is we need our shepherds so badly, and then I want to shift, and I want to talk a little bit about what a whole bunch of ministers are doing to maintain their energy and stamina. I spent a uh, better part of almost a year talking to ministers all over the country. What are you doing that's helping you? And so I'm going to give you kind of a list. Now, I have no handout. I have no PowerPoint. I just want, Is that okay? Yeah. Just what I'd like to do is, is just talk. I've got some notes, but I'm, I'm going to be going off script because I uh, just need to do that. Before I I write a uh, piece of encouragement that comes by email every two weeks. It is a freebie. There is all there is five parts to this little thing. One part is always for people who are ministers or church leaders, sometimes elders. If you would like to get that, it'll come out. Uh, uh, two weeks from this past Monday, it shows up. It's got a fancy name, Jim Martin's Encouragement Note. Uh, but there are at least four or five people in here who already take that. If you would like to take that, if you'll just give me your email address where I can read it, um, I'm, I'll pass this around. If you don't care or don't want, no, it's no problem. But, uh, you might, you might be blessed by this in some way. Okay? And again, this is not just for preachers. This, I, I just write this for Christian folks, but there's a piece of this that's always for ministers. Okay? Well, like... I'm so glad to get to be here with Scott. I have such respect for him. It was hard, it's been hard for me to think of Scott Lambert somewhere else besides Pepperdine because for so many years his name was associated, your name was associated with Pepperdine, and you influenced greatly even people in my family. So I have great respect for you. Um, Charlotte and I served a church in North Alabama for almost eight years. And we served a church in Kansas City for three. And we served a church in in uh, in, in uh, Waco, Texas for 20. And there were some moments of real joy. And there were some moments of real pain. And the joy was greater than, than anything I ever thought it would be. And the pain was worse than what I could imagine. I just didn't, I just did not realize some of the things. <laughs> but the joy was so good. And I think that's ministry. And 2 Corinthians is full of it. Um... I remember staring at my phone one day. It was in North Alabama. And I was looking at my phone and I was praying that it would ring. And I said, Lord, would you just get me somewhere else besides here? My bar is pretty low at this point. <laughs> so whatever it is, would, would it, could it just ring? And I don't know what I was looking for, but it was just, I just, those were just hard times. And uh, I remember in particular, in particular, thinking, does what I'm doing matter? And do I matter? I came to this event, Scott, back when it was uh, Pepperdine Lectureship. I remember walking through the campus. And every time I saw a minister, I thought, 
how come theirs is working and mine's not? How come that how come it seems like what they're doing seems to matter so much? And why is it that what I'm doing doesn't feel like it's like it's doing anything? I'm just telling you, those were those were thoughts. You may have never had a thought like that. But those are thoughts I, I had. And so uh I just wanted to say that for a minute. A lot of what I do right now, besides administrative stuff, is I just talk to a lot of ministers, one-on-one, by Zoom, by on the phone, over coffee. Um, I think I've, I've been with two or three people today. Um, I do do a lot of that. And what I know that a lot of ministers and their families have experienced recently has been disruption. Disruption. And that can range from all those COVID issues that we were dealing with to just some cantankerous person who just, it, it, it just won't go away. Some of us have experienced discouragement. Sometimes that's a mix of fear and confusion and grief. Grief over uh, maybe what we thought this was going to be. And some of us just feel exhausted. It just takes a lot of energy to do this. What I'd like to do is I'd, I'd like to look at a familiar psalm for a minute. Um, because you, you all in here, I mean, every woman, every man in here, I can almost, I, I can almost guess you're trying to bless somebody. You're trying to encourage somebody. But I read this familiar psalm, Psalm 23, and I'm going to be reading this from uh, the New Living Translation. And I really think all of us who serve the Lord need the Lord as our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not lacking anything. The Lord is my host. He invites me to his banquet table. And then the psalm ends with, the Lord is right behind me with his goodness and his love, and I'm going to be his worshiper forever in his house. Let me read a piece of this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. And he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths and he bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. And your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. I don't know. My mama was from Arkansas. She talked about being worked up into a dizzy. I tend to say I am frazzled. Or I am wiped out. This wonderful psalm is a reminder that this isn't up to Friday night at the school where I serve, oh, it'll be a nice moment. At fr Friday night at the school where I serve, people be in their robes, cap and gown, Everybody's pretty dignified, and you know, you 
I'm, I've been given instructions what I'm supposed to do and what to say and all. It's all that. Those people getting advanced Bible degrees, and there is great value in that. But those degrees are not my shepherd. I'm glad I did the academic work I did, but that's not where I find my comfort. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my, my shepherd. I have all that I need. We've got a daughter in Memphis, went through an unwanted divorce nine years ago. She's got two little boys, Brody and Lincoln, sixth grade, third grade. Got two other grandchildren in Oklahoma City. I've been trying to figure out what does a grandfather do, Ray? And I know one thing a grandfather does. I'm, I'm the person who in some way is wanting to say it's going to be all right. When Brody strikes out, it's so embarrassing to strike. He plays baseball. So embarrassing to strike out in front of your friends that I'm the arm around his shoulder after the game. Buddy, I love watching you play. When my daughter talks to me on the phone after interview after interview looking for between jobs, do you know the Lord does that with us? Sometimes I, I have early morning prayer, 3 o'clock in the morning. It's not because I choose that. It's I wake up. It's either worry or pray or a combination of the both. Lord, what am I going to do here, and what am I going to say, and if I say this and it's wrong, then this thing's going to happen, it's going to be a mess, and blah, 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 blah. And I remember again that the Lord is my shepherd. I want to make a couple of statements and shift gears. There is a, a ad going around, uh, if you would like to receive. Where is that now? Okay. There's been probably... Uh, Ten people come in. If you, if you all would like to receive, uh, it's this comes out every other week. It's an email. It's just an encouragement note I write. If you'd like it, great. There's no cost, but you can sign that. Let me say just a word about shepherding and ministry, and then I want to shift to something really practical. When it comes to shepherding or ministry, this is not your limitations meeting the unending hard problems of the sheep. Shepherding or ministry is not your limitations meeting the unending hard problems of the sheep. Shepherding or ministry is God's inexhaustible abundance meeting the unending hard problems of the sheep. Ministry is God's inexhaustible Abundance, meeting the unending hard problems of the sheep. God's abundance allows you to pay attention and to serve and to move on, trusting that God is at work in the lives of the church. Well, then the psalmist says that the host refers God not so much as a, as, as a shepherd, but as a host. Verse 5, even the festive times of life are gifts from God. Finally, he speaks of God pursuing us with his love and his goodness. I want to tell you, and this is the absolute truth, I don't know anybody who has what it takes to do this work. We are going to graduate, I think, a 4.0 student Friday night. I don't know anybody that's got what it takes to do this work. Our confidence is in God's inexhaustible resources. And that can absolutely take a lot of pressure off of you. Whether you're trying to deal with 
your 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 adult son or you're trying to deal with some church member or the whole group or your bible class this is not all okay over the last few years or last year i talked with a bunch of ministers who stayed uh, all of all of us i think probably all of us know some minister who has left and they're not serving con in congregational ministry anymore. That may be you. It may not be you. Not saying a word about that today. What I chose to do was to spend some time talking with those who stayed, who for some reason continue to serve their churches. And the question I asked was, what are your habits or your practices that have really been helpful to you? Okay? I want to mention a few of these to you. Number one, so many of these people said, I am with a healthy group of ministers at times. A healthy group of ministers. Doesn't just mean that you're with ministers, but that you know a few that are pretty healthy. Right? Um, one person spoke of the Zoom group this person was a part of were ministers who would meet once a month to just work on being a less anxious presence. Another spoke of being a part of a group of ministers who met by Zoom weekly, weekly with a therapist. Uh, this is the therapist uh, that one of them knew who volunteered her time to just be with these people on a Zoom call, and what they do is each one speaks for 20 minutes or less about what's going on in their lives, and then the therapist is asked to address any of that she wishes to address. My friend said this has been incredibly helpful. A healthy group of ministers. And second, these people said, my family has really helped me. My family has really helped me. This is something that, when I heard these people say this, it just kind of reminded me to pay attention to my own attitude, you know? I'm, I, my wife's name is Charlotte. Uh, she's, she was a school teacher for years. And uh, not terribly long ago, um, I came home from work, walked into the kitchen, and something wasn't right. I don't remember what it was. It may have been something she said about somebody at church or something. And I started complaining. And I just, you know, kind of griped about that. And then, and then uh, I think one of our children called, and I kind of griped about what she said. And, and then I found something else. To, I hadn't even got through the house yet. I'm standing, I just walk in the door. Wouldn't that be a treat? Standing at the door, and then she looks at me, and she says, uh, are we just going to complain all day? And this kind of reminded me, what am I like for my family? And do I bring energy to them, or am I sucking the life out of them? because of my complaining or whatever it is, because these people said, my family has been so important to me. One person said, uh, my wife is a, is, is, has been my chief encourager. Another person spoke of uh, mom, dad, children, and said, my marriage has been my saving grace. Another minister said, it was so helpful, it, it's helpful that my spouse is content with, with our church. In other words, he wasn't under, this person wasn't under great pressure for things to get better. I thought that was interesting. My family. And then these ministers said, God and Jesus. I, I'm starting off with, with what so many of them said. God and Focusing on God and Jesus has been so helpful to me. In, in maintaining my stamina. One minister said, I got discouraged, but I kept coming back to Jesus. He said, 
when, when I began serving in the role I'm in, I made the decision to do this thing as service to Jesus. Several people spoke of going back to their sense of calling and vocation. One, one person said, I just have this sense that this is what I'm supposed to do. One minister said, I began to read more in the Bible about the suffering of Jesus. And I, and I thought, I want to be faithful in my ministry when I suffer. And then there was a minister who said, I've been doing reading about Israel in exile. And I feel like I'm in exile, and I'd like to be faithful. Next, spiritual discipline. One minister said, I've been focusing more on the Psalms. One minister said, I didn't realize until I got really discouraged how important the spiritual disciplines have been to me and that I really needed to beef that up. One person, <clears throat> she said that it was her attention to the spiritual disciplines that has made all the difference in the world. I think one thing that kept coming through as I talked to more and more of these ministers is that they were intentional. Y'all know what it, you know what it is to be pretty passive. You know, where we're going to eat? I don't care. Well, what do you feel like? I don't know. Well, there's times I do that. Times you probably do that. It doesn't. My wife doesn't care for it if I'm doing that every time she mentions something. Passivity. There's a kind of passivity, you know, where you can just. You just wait for life to happen, or you wait to be encouraged. Or like I told you I did uh, years ago, I'd wait for the phone to ring. Surely it'll be that search committee calling me back. Kind of a passive way to come at this. Well, the people I talked to said, one person said, or several said actually, I needed to change my focus. Change my focus. One person said, I began fo focusing less on my resentment and more on my own response to what was happening in our church and around me. Focusing less on my resentments. Uh, one of the things I've learned is if you do this for any length of time, you begin to have a, some stories about how people, People done you wrong. People, people didn't treat you right. People said the wrong things. People handled it wrong. Well, what the elder said was right, but boy, did they handle it wrong. And, and I can develop all of these, all these stories. I mean, they're, they're true, and some of them are just hurtful. And some of you all know what it is just to be hurt by what people said in some meeting late on Wednesday night when everybody was tired, in some back probably not smoke-filled, but, but some back room at the church where the elders are meeting. Things hurt. What these people are saying, though, is I be, I'm, I'm folk, learning to focus less on my resentments and more my own response to what was happening in our church and around me. One person spoke of cultivating a spirit of gratitude, contentment, instead of focusing on grievances. Spirit of gratitude, contentment. Another minister talked about focusing on the grace of God and the power of God. One minister spoke of reading an article by Lynn Anderson in which he said that a minister really has little credibility until he's been with the congregation for about seven years. This minister said, I began to focus on that and realized I was probably expecting way too much in the second year. Now, I say all of that, and, and these, these people would acknowledge that those hurts that we experience are real. They are real. And 
I've got my stories just like you do, and they're, they're hurtful and they're real. The question is, what am I going to do intentionally? Am, am, I, am I just going to kind of park in this bench here and focus on that? Or will I focus on how I respond to people, my own gratitude? I was telling a, a, some, a couple of you were with the uh, Harding School of Theology lunch. I was telling them the other day, I was, I've been in this class, and uh, in, in this class there was, I was visiting with this uh, woman one day, and she was telling me about what, what, what she does, and she said, I basically work with people who are in transition in businesses. They, these people, he, she said, are typically going from one business to the other. And she said, some of them do it well, and some of them do it not so well. And I, and I said, what, what's the difference? And she said, well, typically when people are making a transition, they're either being pushed or pulled. She said, not always, but typically. You're in a situation and you feel like you're kind of being pushed out, or there's a situation out here that's just kind of pulling you, and so you're going to go to it. And she said, what often happens is we begin to experience this, we announce that we're in transition, and then we really start focusing on things that were wrong about this pushing business, or what's not meeting our expectations about what's kind of pulling us, and we get resentful. And she said, the best way for any transition to happen is to be grateful. Grateful for the good things you've experienced, grateful for what's ahead of you, and grateful for this in-between time. She said, when people can experience this kind of gratitude, they often transition very, very well. well I made some notes after that conversation. Because the, the, the truth is, that, that's, that would be really easy to do, whether you're in transition or not. So one of the things these people, something these people are saying is, I want to change my focus, and I want to focus perhaps on what I need to be grateful for. You say, well, that's easier said than done. Yes, I know that, but it's still true. It's still true. Number, look at the next one, friendships. Friendships. One person spoke of a group of friends graduated from seminary with, they check in with one another once or twice a year. person said, we may be discouraged or encouraged, but when we come together once or twice a year, we kind of just pick up with where we left off and we're very honest with each other. I spoke with this minister in Arkansas who talked about working with a church as a youth minister. And he worked with a church in the same town where his dad preached. Where his dad preached. And he said, my dad had had this friend, another preacher in a church, and they would have breakfast together usually about once a week. He said, I was a youth minister at a different church than the other than those two, all in the same community. And I would go to breakfast with these two guys, and he said, I mean, one's my dad, and the other was old enough to be my dad. And I listened to how they would talk. And he said they were real honest with one another. But you could tell they loved the church. I mean, they didn't make fun of people. They didn't, you know, belittle people. If they were hurt, they expressed what hurt them. If somebody said something hurtful, they would tell one another. But I thought to myself, he said, you can do this. Look at these two guys. They're honest with one another, and their situations are, are kind of hard, looks like. He said, that just encouraged me, seeing these two friends and how they were with one another. 
One spoke of the friends from one of Randy Harris's contemplative groups who still meets, he said, I still meet with these people almost weekly by Zoom. One minister spoke of surrounding himself with healthy people whom he can talk with instead of isolating himself when he's down. Still another minister spoke of the importance of having a network of friends. One minister said that he, that, their, that uh, this person's friendships were, were, was the nucleus of mental health friendships. Another minister said he had to create some distance from a few friends who were so negative and cynical it was bringing him down. It might sound kind of hard, but if you... If you're already feeling a bit fragile anyway, I'm, in fact, what my friend said to me, he said, I had to say to a couple of buddies, I need a little distance right now. I cannot handle the cynicism. Man, I, I'm, I'm at a pretty fragile place in terms of whether or not I can last. Finally, one minister said, uh, uh, in this, this Sunday afternoon small group. This is a single person, I think a children's minister, and, and she said, you know, my, I go to my small group and they're just family to me. And I, I long to be with them every week. Friends. Friends. I don't know what you're, what you do when you get discouraged. Uh, we all kind of, guess, react in different ways, respond in different ways. Uh, some people get discouraged and they just get busy, busy, busy doing all kind, doing about anything but their work. Some of us get discouraged and we find a cave somewhere. I mean, maybe in your living room, we 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 find some place where we can just kind of just kind of be to ourselves. Uh, that uh, if my wife were here, she would say, and that is what he has done. We were in Kansas City. Man, I was going through a rough season. Consequently, we were going through a rough season, it, uh, Charlotte and I together. And I remember one day, uh, look, look, just just feeling like I'm going under. And I, I felt like I was looking up, and all I could see was a big black hole and I think I could see a shaft of light up above, but I didn't know how to get to it. So I'm thinking, I wonder if this is what it feels like to be somewhat depressed. Went to see this therapist, and I walked in. This person, it just wasn't a good experience. I, th I thought, I'm done with this. I walked out and I thought, you dummy, you can't just go see somebody once and then say you're done with this. So I thought, well, yeah, I'll find somebody else. Oh, did I ever find somebody else? Good Lord. Uh, I found this person who I would see about every three weeks. And I looked forward to it. I was so honest that I would talk and this person knew how to deal with me and I felt myself gradually coming out of that cave, out of that big hole. But one of the things that friendships will do is friendships can, can, help, can help keep you from just circling the drain. You know, especially if, if these are friends that you can be honest with. Here's another one. These ministers, a few ministers said, I began to focus on what gives joy. On what gives joy. One minister said, uh, I started spending more and more time on the things in my work that gave me joy. I had somebody asked me a while ago, do you like what you do? And I said, I like a lot of what I do. I'm, I'm an administrator. 
And so basically what that means is I do my work so the faculty can teach students. All right? There's nothing glorious about this at all. Uh, at, but that's what I do. Well, minister, when I was working with a congregation, if you'd said, do you like this? I would say, I love parts of this. I like other parts. There's a few parts of this I just do because it goes with the territory. And there's a sliver there I don't like at all, but I got to do it. You know? I don't know if you relate to that or not. What a couple of these people said, especially as they were wrestling with discouragement, they said, I begin to put more time in the aspects of my life that I loved. For instance, uh, one preacher said, I happen to like the, the preparation of a, of a message. I don't, even, I don't like delivering it as much. I don't like, uh, I don't like the actual preaching. Of the, I, I love the research. And so this person said, when, when I just began to get really discouraged, I started spending more time on the piece of that that I love, and I got some energy from that because that's what I love to do. I thought that was pretty wise. Um, one minister said, uh, this has been a hard time, but there are things about what I do that I like. Um, sometimes when things get really hard, uh, you know, it, it, it can change our language. I can begin using, for instance, extreme language. I don't know if any of you, uh, boy, that elders meeting was a disaster. Well, actually, it was boring as all get out, and somebody said something kind of dumb. But disaster? That's a pretty strong word. Now, maybe uh, could there be disastrous elders meetings? Absolutely. But, or, or, or to preach a sermon. Or to teach a class and to tell my spouse, I blew it. That was a rotten sermon. That was a rotten class. Rotten? You blew it? Why could I say it? It probably wasn't one of my best. Because my, I don't want my brain hearing all this mess that's coming out of my mouth. And so if I, can, if I can keep my language a little more appropriate to the reality of what's happening, I don't know if that makes any sense or not. But one way I, I can do that is instead of just saying, this was a terrible, rotten day, I could say, well, the morning didn't start out right. I got a ticket. But I had a great lunch with somebody I've been trying to encourage. And I've been praying for a conversation with a person I've been trying to invite to church. And she answered and she said she was going to come. It's a little more perspective there. One minister spoke of the need to cultivate and protect joy. I don't know if you've ever been around anybody that just robbed joy. You, you ever been around somebody like that? Good things could happen. One Sunday morning, I, for some reason, we had this uh, elders ministers meeting in a church where I was at one time. We, we were going to have it early in the Sunday afternoon for some reason. We had, it was like three baptisms one Sunday morning. I mean, it, it was just a good day. And you know, you know, you have those days, you, you walk away and going, okay, this was a good day. We sat down, and one of these brothers said, I've just got one thing to say. When are we finally going to get this air conditioning fixed? I remember thinking, you know, we had three people baptized into Christ. Good things happening. We're going to follow up with talk about 
an air conditioner that doesn't work very well. So I want to make sure that I'm not a joyride first, right? Got a friend, his name is Jay Jeffrey. He used to play football, Scott, at Baylor. And Jay's my buddy. And when we'd go out to eat, or our kids would be watching a volleyball game. And I'd say, Jay, how was your day? And he said, well, had two appointments fall through, and uh, a customer we thought was going to buy didn't buy. And he'd say, but the good news is, tonight, we are going to have great Mexican food. The first time he, I heard him do that, I thought, oh. And then he would do that a lot. And he, I thought, this is the way, this is interesting. And I found myself thinking, you know, this didn't go well, this didn't go well, but the good news is we did have four visitors this morning. And somehow... Just me looking in the mirror and reminding myself, this isn't all going down the toilet here. That God is at work. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but that sure has helped me. And so I want to do what my friend says. I want to cultivate and protect joy. One minister said, one of the things I do is I have late night readings. I said, what do you mean late night readings? He said, well, if, uh, if you look at our bed, look at my side of the bed and look at the little nightstand, there are, there's a stack of books. Those are carefully selected books. When I go to bed and I'm discouraged or I wake up and I'm about to worry or I'm discouraged, I sometimes turn to a certain chapter in one of those books because it, I just enjoy. I, I, I know about that chapter. I know about what's said. But I'm ready. I have, I have my stack right there by the bed. I don't have to look for them. I've got pages marked. My late night readings. I thought that was nice. One person, or actually several people said, I make sure I take a Sabbath rest each week. A time where I don't go to the office, don't mess with sermons. And I took a sabbatical, this person said, after being at this church for a number of years, and this was so helpful, I look for ways to, I now look for ways to create many sabbaticals. These people who I've talked with the majority of these people said, I have, I have seen one of the following, a therapist, a mentor, a coach, a spiritual director, or a combination of some of these people. These people get help. Several mentioned physical activity. One person said, I'm not in the best physical shape. I can't do the kind of workout I used to do, but I can do something. And this person said, I began, during COVID, I began doing uh, the physical exercises I learned in physical therapy. And it's been so helpful. Harry Newhoff, some of you may listen to him. Uh, he interviewed a person by the name of Joe Saxton. And I love this line. She said, you have one body and your leadership lives in it. I have one body, and my leadership lives in it. Uh, whatever I do as a husband lives in this one body. Whatever I do as a father, whatever I do as a minister, whatever I do as a servant of the Lord lives in this one body. I want to pay attention to my body and to care for my body. And then finally, uh, I'm, I'm stopping. Finally, uh, Somebody said, or several said, uh, one, one, use the language of one minister, I have a keep going file. Person said, every time I receive a encouraging email, note, text, I make a copy and put it in my keep going file so that when I'm tempted to stop, I open my keep going file and I read these good things again.
thought that was nice. Dean Peterson, in his book, The Pastor, said one thing good pastors do, and I would, I would even take that one thing any servant of the Lord might do, is to ask the question, what is God doing here? What's God doing here? I mean, this is a late night thing. This thing started, what, uh, Scott, at 830 People are going to bed in some places, and here we are. And yet I could ask the question, I'm here, what could God be doing? As I'm here? In the morning, as I have breakfast or coffee with my friend, what could God be doing here? As I hear this talk, which just seems, oh my goodness, this is what I need to hear. What could God be doing here? What could God be doing? There's a, in the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, there was a report that came, it was uh, uh, published, I think it was maybe a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, uh, it, it was part of the Resilient Leadership Project, and I love one line in this in this report. In the midst of fragmentation, we see opportunity. The shifting spiritual landscape invited a new imagination. In the midst of fragmentation, we see opportunity. You know, one of the ways to come at this is by just coming clean with God. Saying, you know, God, I'm about this close to quitting. I'm hanging by a thread. I am so discouraged. But God, you are my shepherd. And you have all that I need. And could you, oh Lord, give it to me? Could you give me? Could you be with me? Could you be present? Could you keep doing things in my life and around me and through me and with me, even when I'm so thick-headed or hard-hearted, or even when it's not a matter of my head or heart? I just don't see what you're doing. Could I keep believing? My friend Ken Dye used to preach in Lubbock, Texas, and then in Nashville. And uh, I think these days, Ken's home much of the time in his 80s. I was a young minister. We had invited Ken to come preach at our little church in North Alabama. He was from the big church in Lubbock. And I just remember thinking, what am I supposed to say to him? And I remember picking him up at the airport. He's handsome and kind of seemed, words were just smooth. You know, they didn't fall out like mine do. They were smooth. He did this family workshop for our church. And... Uh, I thought, you know, I like him. He looks at me after, this, I think it was, I think he spoke all Saturday morning. He looks at me and says, could we go have lunch and then I'd love to take a walk somewhere. He said, didn't you say your in-laws have a farm around here? And I said, yeah, we could, we could go out there and walk. We eat this lunch and we go out there and we're just kind of walking. He's older than me. He's at the big church. I'm at the small church. In my mind, that means something. I know that does it in God's mind, but in my mind, that kind of meant something. You know, all me and my insecurities. And, and, and we're walking along, and he said, tell me about your schedule, your life. And I began to tell him. And what I told him was true. What I told him, I think I was trying to convince him I was worth something. And he, I said, you know, uh, I preach twice on Sunday. 
and I teach a Bible class on Wednesday, and I'm working with this couple who aren't Christians, and usually in the afternoons, I'm seeing either a couple or some individual. We had a lot of recovering alcoholics at our church. I'm just seeing a lot of these people. He said, is this typical every week? I said, yeah. I mean, he said, you know, you're not going to last. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you told me you saw a couple, they were fighting about their marriage at two, and then you saw another one at three, and another mess at four? I said, yeah, am I not supposed to do that? And he said, you won't last. And he said, you know, you don't have anything to prove. He said, you look at a guy like me, and it probably looks like I've got it made. Oh, yeah, they pay me well. And, you know, I don't know about golf membership, but but he said, uh, he said they pay me well and, and that kind of thing. But, oh, my goodness, there are some things you've got here that I don't have. There's some freedoms you've got here I don't have. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're doing a good work here and you don't even realize it. I think he could see my discontent. And he said, you're going to have to keep this at a pace that's sustainable. Boy, did I need to hear that. I asked him about that probably five or six years ago. I said, Ken, did you know about 35 years ago you did this? And he said, I don't remember a thing. Did I say all that to you? He said, yeah. That turned out to be one of the important touchstones of my life. What I'd like to do is I'd like to pray. And I don't know what it is. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's up with the church that you serve. You may be between churches. You may be wondering what you're going to do or if you can do. But I know one thing. God's at work in every one of our lives. And it's not somebody else where he's doing all the great work. It's people like you and me. Could we pray for just a minute? And then uh, I'm happy to visit with you. I know Scott is. He's sitting right over here. Lord, I just have this sense that someone in here is just really discouraged tonight. And I have absolutely no words to fix this or to make it better. I just have this sense, O Lord, that there's someone in here married to someone who is discouraged. And he or she has done everything they know how to do and are just kind of at a loss as to how to encourage their spouse. Lord, I wonder if there isn't someone in here who feels a certain heaviness tonight because of problems in a church, problems with elders, problems in own marriage, problems with one of their children. Oh God, would would you in some way bless each person here tonight?
and that each one of us, O oh Lord, who serve you, that in your eyes we really do matter. And that you're attentive every whisper that comes from our mouths, O oh Lord. You're attentive, Father, our needs. And we look to you, O oh Lord, as our shepherd, believing that you have inexhaustible resources. Each one of us and for our church. Bless each person, O oh Lord, tonight. Go to our rooms or the place where we're staying. And may in some way, O oh Father, some way, those of us who walk with you, those of us who serve you, those of us who would attempt to minister to someone else, May we have all that we recognize in Christ. We ask all of this. Well, thanks very much. If you'd like to visit for a minute, I'm happy to visit with you. Scott is as well.